Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. tonight. We're delighted to have CNN's John King joining us from Washington, D.C. Good evening to you, John, and thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us here in Ireland. It's two weeks out. Can you imagine since uh, the election? It's the ninth election that you've covered. Was it the most memorable? It was the most memorable, and that's remarkable in the sense that I covered the 1992 election where we had Ross Perot as a third-party candidate with Bill Clinton and the former President George H.W. Bush. Ross Perot received nearly 20 million votes. Then we had Bush versus Gore that went all the way to the United States Supreme Court because it was so close in one state. But this one was wild in how competitive a campaign it was. Fascinating because it was President Trump, and we haven't had a one-term president since 1992 and just extraordinarily complicated because of the COVID pandemic and the several different ways people were allowed to vote. Every state had to remake the rules of the election. So it was fascinating. It was competitive. And now, of course, it's still two weeks later. The incumbent president refuses to accept the math, or as I've learned from my Irish friends, the maths. Maths, <laughs> plural, we add the S. Uh, I would imagine, John, that normally two weeks out, you know, there's a sense of relief. The election is over. You have the president. So given the fact that Donald Trump is refusing to concede and saying that the election was stolen and I won the election, I'm wondering what impact that's having on everybody over there. Uh, Kira, it's having a dramatic impact on so many different things. Number one, it keeps the president's base, President Trump's base. He's keeping his base stoked up, fired up, telling them, frankly, it's sad, but he's telling them lies. In court case after court case after court case, his lawyers have lost. There is no widespread fraud. Joe Biden will become president on January 20th. But the president has a political objective here. He wants to undermine the new president from the beginning. He's trying to raise money through his supporters. He says a lot of it will go to these legal fights, but much of it is actually going to pay off campaign debts. And he's trying to keep his political organization together because we know he will be a one-term president. And he will keep his grip over the Republican Party, and he may run again in four years. For Joe Biden, the challenge is he's experienced in government because of his years as vice president and his years in the Senate. But we are in the middle of this COVID pandemic. They say the vaccine might be ready to roll out just before or just as Joe Biden becomes president. President Trump is refusing to share the most basic information of government. So there's a giant governing challenge coming for Biden, especially in the pandemic. And President Trump, frankly, is trying to complicate it. Having followed Donald Trump for the last four years, as I'm sure you did, what do you think his appeal still is? Well, his appeal is chaos and disruption. His appeal also is being politically incorrect, if you will. Look, 
A lot of people, especially one of the things about this election that fascinated me was all the worldwide interest. There are a lot of people who see Donald Trump as an entertainer. They remember his reality TV days. Uh, we have to remember, whether you like or dislike him, he tapped in to this anxiety about government, this disconnect, this feel among, especially working class, blue collar Americans who work with their hands, hardworking people, that Washington doesn't care about them anymore. Fascinating, right, that a billionaire who lived in a penthouse would make this connection with blue collar voters. But he did. Dissatisfaction with politics, worries about globalization, not unlike some of the Brexit and other debates you've had on your side of the Atlantic. Uh, people nervous about immigration, about change, about automation in the economy. Trump has tapped into this. So whether you like him or not, the story of his followers is fascinating, and they're not going anywhere. Is he going anywhere, do you think? Do you think he will contest it in four years, or will one of his children contest it in four years? No. Look in your magic ball. Uh, Kira, you follow tweets sometimes, right? <laughs> uh, he's not going anywhere. He is not going anywhere. He loves the attention. That's one of the reasons he's doing what he's doing now. He thrives on attention. Uh, the point you make about his children is a fascinating one, and I think that will become a great political drama here in the United States. We have to realize, once Joe Biden takes his hand off the Bible, once he is the president of the United States, President Trump, then former President Trump, could be in some legal jeopardy. There are a number of investigations, especially in the state of New York, where the Trump organization is based. He could be in some legal jeopardy. But we will see if those cases bear fruit or if, as President Trump says, they're just Democratic witch hunts. But I do think we need to watch. He will hold himself out till the last possible minute as a potential candidate in four years. Will he also try to help his daughter, Ivanka, or Don Jr.? Will there be a rivalry between Ivanka and Don Jr.? I think we have some fascinating politics, and that's, it'll be in the political pages and in the gossip pages for the next four years. Mm, it'll be interesting stuff, all right. Uh, from Ireland's point of view, we, of course, have an interest in who the next American president was going to be. It is Joe Biden. Do you think he will be favourable towards Ireland? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Uh, I remember back in the Senate days when he was in the Senate and Bill Clinton was president and they were working on the peace agreement back then. Joe Biden was involved then. Joe Biden is very involved, uh, very proud of his Irish roots. He's also an internationalist, whether it's the Paris Climate Accord, whether it's uh, trying to strengthen instead of constantly criticizing the NATO alliance, whether it's reaching out to traditional U.S. allies like Ireland and other countries across Europe. Of course, it'll, it will be it will be different. Uh, not that President Trump, you know, President Trump had no bias against Ireland per se, but I think Joe Biden comes to the table uh, with a great favorability, both personal and policy-wise. John, it struck me when I first spoke to you that you are not beside your magic wall. You have broken free. Uh, were you surprised right. by the fascination of people who followed the election with CNN's magic wall? My friend Wolf Blitzer is in that studio right now. Otherwise, I would love, I would put, I could bring up the map of Ireland. On, you know, I've seen little tweets saying, could I cover politics over there? I'm not sure, but I'd like to try. Uh, I was fascinated. Uh, and the, Kira, the remarks about me were flattering. And I, I, I'm gratified. And I'm glad I helped people on the journey. But I think mainly it was, a, it was a, to me, it was proof of the interest. Uh, young people here in the United States posting videos on TikTok. Um, people in Ireland and all across the world uh, following the election. Why is that? Well, the world always wants to know which path will America take. And I think that was a larger question because Donald Trump took such an extraordinarily different path than prior U.S. presidents. So the interest was huge. The magic wall, this was, we had in 2008, 12, 16. So this was election number four. We updated the software. It's a fantastic tool to do my job. You and I work in the same business. As you know, live television 
can be fun, it can also be challenging, and it can be interesting. Uh, having a great tool to help you along, like the Magic Wall, to be able to visit every county in America, to be able to go back in history and look, to take people on the journey. So I think it, it's helpful to take people, whether they're watching in Ireland or watching here in the United States, to take them where the, where the election is being settled. One of the things that fascinated me, and I think many others, John, um, because I was glued to CNN's coverage, was the fact that you were almost always there. And I wonder, I mean, you've said you got somewhere between two and three hours sleep a night. Genuinely, how did you stay focused and sharp and able to broadcast? Adrenaline. I think most of all, it was a fascinating. This is why I do this. This is my ninth presidential election. I've been in journalism for 35 years and television for 23 of those. And I get tired just like everybody else. But for the big stories, the adrenaline kicks into the body. I drank way too much coffee that week, but that's okay. It kept me going. Uh, it's excitement. I want to be part of that big story. This is what I've spent my whole life studying. I've traveled the country many times, which is why I know those counties. My hands are essentially retracing my life. Uh, when I'm doing that, it was a fascinating election. And the big question in the middle of a pandemic, in a tough economy, with a character like Donald Trump, was a fascinating story. I was not going to sleep. I'll get sleep next week or the week after. And speaking of getting sleep and getting, I'm sure, some you know, much-deserved downtime, is it possible now to go out and about and enjoy normal life in Washington, given COVID restrictions? Because there's you know, quite severe restrictions here on our lifestyles. The restrictions here are still quite severe, and the case counts are going up all across America. Washington, D.C., and the surrounding areas had done a pretty good job after a very tough time back in the spring, March and April, of pushing down. But now the case counts are coming up again. And so some restaurants are open. I don't eat out in a restaurant. I have a nine-year-old son. I'm trying to keep him safe as well, and he's back in school two days a week. So it's very complicated, just as it is there. This is a global challenge. And I think you mentioned what changes will come with Joe Biden as a president. Donald Trump has this America first, almost America alone approach. He's ignored the pandemic even here in the United States for the past few months. I do think you will see in a Biden presidency an acknowledgement that the entire world community is going through this and maybe we can learn from each other. It sounds uh, like you need perhaps a good holiday, maybe a trip to Ireland perhaps. I'm so looking forward to it. I have a fantastic cousin, Jackie Kenny, there, and she has been sharing all this family lore with me. She's promising me a pint at Keos uh, <laughs> when I can come to Dunlachin uh, as soon as I can, as soon as I can. Just, we were texting just the other day about this, and I said, can I come tomorrow? And she said, let's wait out COVID a little bit, yeah, let the weather get, get a, a little better. I've never been. I've been, there with, yeah, I've been there with presidents on business trips. I've never been there just to travel and to trace my roots myself. And the pictures are beautiful. I love a nice rocky beach. I can't wait. So you're happy enough then for us to claim you as Irish as we are, you know, um, inclined to do in this country. I'm incredibly proud of my family roots and the hardworking ethic uh, that my parents gave us and clearly their parents and grandparents gave them and that comes from there. So I'm proud to be, I'm proud to be an Irish American. You don't have to be proud to claim me. And First pints on me. <laughs> I don't think you'll be buying pints when you come here, to be honest uh, with you. As you said, you have been to Ireland on a number of occasions in a work capacity with previous presidents. Do you have any standout memory of your trips here? Well, I remember one of the trips with Bill Clinton. It was in September 1998, and he was there to celebrate 
the peace accords had been struck about five months previously. He was traveling with Tony Blair, the prime minister of the UK, came over with him. He went to Dublin and to Belfast. But what was so, what was so interesting about that was that Bill Clinton was greeted like a hero in Ireland, but he was in the middle still of the Monica Lewinsky scandal back here in the United States. And so I remember he got very frustrated with me on that trip because I had to ask him questions about domestic politics back here. So that was a very strange moment. Uh, it was a fun trip there with President Bush, although he too, he came to Shannon for the EU-US summit. I believe it was 2004, in June, I believe. And um, he was on his way to a NATO summit in Turkey. And the Iraq war was a big deal at that stage. So often when the American president travels, his domestic political problems from the United States travel with him. And on both of those trips, that was the case. Uh, John, unfortunately, we have to uh, leave it there. But perhaps we'll speak to you again uh, when you make that relaxing, personal uh, trip to Ireland. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. I'm grateful. And after the break, as the government rose back on takeaway pints ban after widespread backlash, do we need to look at alcohol's role in the spread of the virus? Former INMO General Secretary Liam Dorn says we should ban alcohol sales outright if we're serious about saving Christmas. He'll be joining me on Skype. And with me in studio are Fianna Fáil TD Barry Cowan and Independent TD Michael Healy-Ray. Now, earlier today, a decision to ban takeaway pints and to potentially fine people for drinking outdoors were stopped by Cabinet. It comes as Neffet is warning the situation in Ireland is deteriorating. In studio, I'm joined on the panel by Fianna Fáil TD Barry Cowan and Independent TD Michael Healy-Ray. But first, let's go live to the Department of Health, where we're joined by our reporter, Zara King. Good evening, uh, Zara. The numbers today, 366 down on yesterday, but it's that five-day incident rate that Neffet are concerned about. What have they been saying? Yes, Kira. so it was very clear even last night from the press conference that Neffet is really concerned about the situation in terms of the case numbers rising, as you mentioned, 366 today. But when we compare that to last Tuesday, there were 270 cases. So you can see there's a clear difference um, week on week. Tonight, Dr Tony Houlihan has been speaking about that five-day moving average, and he is saying that uh, the average was 350 cases um, per day last Wednesday, whereas the number has gone up to 424 today. So that is a significant increase. The numbers are not going in the right direction. Now, we know that Neff had said in a letter to the health minister that they would like to see the cases in and around 100 per day or below by the end of level five, that that would be uh, the ideal target in terms of exiting level five. But the health minister speaking earlier this evening, saying that if we don't hit that target, it doesn't necessarily mean that we won't exit level five. Stephen Donnelly saying that the government is keen to reopen the country, particularly going into Christmas. Now, from a Neffet perspective, we know that they want to see the OR number in around 0.5. Now, the latest update we had on that last week was that the OR number was at 0.6. So it will be important and we'll all be watching closely as Professor Philip Nolan gives us the latest update on the OR number this coming Thursday. But there's no doubt the numbers are going in the wrong direction. Dr Tony Hulan saying that he's becoming increasingly worried about the fact that the positive trajectory we're on has not continued and it is a worry for them. And we mentioned the takeaway pints issue. It was a bit of a political football today and there was a U-turn uh, from the government. How has that U-turn been received? 
Yes, Kira, I think it's been kind of confusing for people because obviously yesterday from early on we had heard that Taoiseach Micheál Martin speaking to Cork's Red FM and he had been saying at that time, you know, we really need to do something about the takeaway points about the drinking on the street. He was responding, of course, to that now viral video footage we saw in Cork and Dublin. So it was expected that there would be some sort of action in relation to this. Ultimately, as you mentioned there, we heard today uh, that there's been a U-turn on that. In fact, we're seeing now that they've decided instead to focus uh, on enforcing the existing rules which govern the consumption of alcohol in a public place. So it was uh, perhaps not the outcome that people were expecting. We had heard that the health minister was going to bring a memo to cabinet on it. Effectively, that memo never went through. And uh, as I say, really no change to the situation, just an enforcement of those existing rules. And the government also confirming today that no further action is going to be taken in terms of Seamus Wolfe and his situation. But the focus now really shifting, isn't it, Zara, to Helen McEntee and the appointment process. Uh, she so far has refused to come into the dial and answer questions. Interesting remarks from the Kyung Korla this evening about that. Yeah, so I suppose the fallout from the Golfgate scandal uh, continues on. And now, as you said, the focus does shift to how Seamus Wolf uh, was appointed to the role in the first place, uh, particularly when we know now that there were three existing judges that were interested in the role and uh, the fact that the Taoiseach wasn't told. Now, uh, the opposition leaders were all unified uh, in their uh, calls for Helen McEntee to answer questions on this. In fact, the Sinn Féin president saying today uh, the Minister for Justice is duty-bound to present herself to make a statement and answer questions on this important matter, while the Taoiseach, Michael Martin uh, said that uh, this would be unprecedented. He said that he'd never seen a situation uh, like that before. However, as you mentioned there, the Kian Korla coming back and making it clear that um, appointing judges is the function of a government and the government is accountable to the Dole for its actions. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. We certainly haven't heard the last of it. Absolutely not. Thank you as always, Zara. With us now on the panel is Fianna Fáil TD Barry Cowan and Independent TD Michael Healy-Ray and we're joined on Skype by Liam Doran, former IMNO uh, General Secretary. I'm going to start with you, uh, Michael, because you were saying, I think, only yesterday, look, if we ban takeaway pints and we find people for drinking these pints, we're going to be living in Moscow. You wanted common sense to prevail. Do you feel yes. you've won? Well, first of all, I very warmly welcome the two U-turns done by the government over a 24-hour period. Sometimes this government, they seem to say something in the morning, say something again in the middle of the day, and by that night time, they, it's like a bad dream they've completely forgotten about. They're very good at doing U-turns, but I appreciate the fact that they did listen, because this is a very serious ma matter. I didn't agree with what they were going doing. I believe in the approach of trying to bring people with us. We don't want to turn the public against what the government is trying to achieve. Remember, it's not us against them when we're talking about this pandemic. And I don't want to give the impression that, oh, I'm against the government or their policy. What we all want to do is achieve the same thing, and that is get rid of this goddamn virus in the best way we possibly can. But by trying to blame alcohol, that's the wrong thing to do. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with what happened last weekend. Of course, it was irresponsible, but I would plead with those individuals, those people who did that. They gave an awful lot of other people a bad name. People who just want to go, wanted to go in, buy the takeaway drink, which they're allowed to do, and take it away. And so do. for you, it's about individual responsibility? Here. 100%. And I don't believe that we should be legislating for every eventuality. If something happens so tonight in Wexford, are we supposed to come along and bring in legislation tomorrow to try and deal with that, whatever that uh, was? 
Uh, Barry, I just want to bring you in there because I think it's a fair point, isn't it, that Michael has uh, made there. This government has had to do a bit of an embarrassing U-turn on this. Did the government sort of react in a panicked fashion to something it saw on, on social media over the weekend? I mean, the government was always going to meet this morning, as the Cabinet does every week, um, to discuss matters uh, on the agenda and issues as they arise. It was very disappointing, of course, to see the scenes that we saw on Saturday evening, but it's no reflection of society in general. It's no reflection of the hospitality sector. It's no reflection on licensed premises and restaurants whom are seeking to retain a tentative link with their customers and retain uh, some income in an effort to be in a position to be viable if and when uh, you know improvements uh, are made in the coming weeks in relation to restrictions. I, for example, no more than any other TD around the country whom are in touch with or in contact with their constituents was contacted by people involved in that trade yeah, and who I were nervous that that incident would, that they would be punished somehow for an incident, an isolated incident yes. that happened in Dublin. And you I didn't did, want to I didn't agree with that. I didn't agree with that. I agreed with, what, with the point that was made to me. I, 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 I made that point to my colleagues in the party and but my colleagues in cabinet. But does it concern you, I suppose, that the Taoiseach of the country went on radio yesterday morning saying, yeah, we need to look at this issue of, you know, banning takeaway pints. You have a huge hullabaloo. You have your health minister coming in front of the cabinet today with a memo that wasn't ever going to be supported. And then fast forward... Look, you know, 48 hours, it and was, it turns it out there's going to be no change whatsoever. It was unfortunate. Um, common sense has prevailed, as Michael has alluded to. The comments that were made by he and I and others in this area, thankfully, were taken on board, and ultimately the right decision was made. But that doesn't take from the fear and the worry and the trepidation there is as a result of your earlier piece in relation to the numbers, unfortunately, going up again. Yeah. Uh, you know, when we're so near, but yet so far in the context of vaccine in the offing, so we have to refocus our but energies on, on people isn't adhering. Public policy hasn't been made up on the hoof here, no, is it? No, no, because no, 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 like. it can't be and it shouldn't be. But that's that being said, and it's an unfortunate uh, pun, but it's a fluid situation that, 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 that has changed and is changing. And the virus thrives at this time of the year rather than earlier in the year. And, you know, lockdowns did work in the past. Right. It was much easier going into it. It was much more difficult coming out of it. And that's why people are anxious, especially with Christmas. I just want to go to... Is made to bring about successful... Uh, Liam Dorn here. Liam, you feel the government has really fudged this issue by pushing all the responsibility back on individuals. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, I think... We've fudged this issue uh, for the last seven months or so uh, in relation to managing the pandemic. Uh, I've never really understood the hesitancy about recognising that with alcohol 
uh, and social distancing, they're not compatible. Uh, and I, I certainly would argue that um, we have to have, we've, we've changed people's behavior with, with areas like beauticians and hairdressers and uh, clothes shops and so on, but we can't people's behavior with their access to alcohol. I think that was epitomized by sort of the statement of a minister two, 10 days ago, when he said that, you know, children's socks were not essential or immediate, but all the while alcohol seems to be essential and immediate insofar as it must be available uh, at all times. So, so what are you I advocating exactly, uh, Liam? Do you think there should be an outright ban on all alcohol sales in this country indefinitely until the end of lockdown? What exactly do you think the government should do here? Well, I, I would be very strong on saying there has to be uh, a curb. Uh, ideally, I think, yes, if we're serious about the next two weeks and trying to prepare for Christmas so that we can have a Christmas together, albeit in a, in a, in a somewhat shelved form, there has to be uh, greater control over the sale of alcohol. Uh, I don't believe we'll ever live with a, a draconian ban, but I certainly would argue that we have to curb the sale of alcohol, reduce the number of hours of opening of off licenses and so on. And we have to curb the amount of alcohol that okay. an individual can purchase and so on. Okay. Uh, I think that is no different than closing pubs. If somebody had said we've closed all the pubs in Ireland, you know, last February, they were, we'd never, you'd been put in the, uh, away. But we've done that. Uh, but all the while, alcohol sales continue. All the okay. while, transmission in the community continues. And one point. is connected to the other. You do not control social distancing when you are, yeah. if you like, freed up with the, with the, with the uh, attributes of alcohol. Okay. I think we have to curb that. Like we've curbed other people's behaviour. I just want to put that point to you, Michael uh, Healy Ray. Alcohol and social distancing don't go together. And if we really want to curb the increase in numbers, it's time to restrict alcohol sales. Absolute crazy nonsense. But before I answer the question, because I have to do this, I have to declare something because I'd be accused of it otherwise if I didn't declare it. My brother, Denny Healy Ray, owns a public house and has done so for many years as my father before him. And I own an off license. Now, that d doesn't mean to say that that's what's influencing my reaction to what Liam has stated. Liam is entitled to his opinion. But I'm speaking for hoteliers. I'm speaking on behalf of the, the excellent uh, publicans, the vintners, that it's in their DNA, it's in their blood to be in the hospitality sector and to do so in a responsible way. But we're just but, talking about the current yes, pandemic. And I'm talking about... to turn this around. I'm do talking, you agree with Liam that maybe we should look at restricting no, sales, restricting I, hours, restricting the amount of alcohol people I, I don't agree with him and I'll tell you why. Because if you look at the statistics and the, 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 the tracing that was done when when cases were being investigated, the one question that was asked was, have you been in a public house? Have you been in contact with people that were in a public house? The answer was no. The, the amount of the spread of the disease that could be attributed to public um, houses or to restaurants or anything like that was non-existent virtually. So well, to no, be there's trying an to... awful lot, in fairness, Michael, yes. of international research, yes, which but, would say that there is a link right, between but, pubs and restaurants no, and alcohol but and the spread no, of Show me the statistics here. They're not there. They don't stack up. That's not why we had a second spike now. That, it, that hasn't been proven. And what I'm saying is that when our publicans were allowed to open, they did so in a very, very a responsible way, which I was extremely proud of, but it was no, nothing more than what I would expect Sorry. from them because they're professional. Do you accept Michael. that alcohol does actually contribute to the spread? Well, it of can, of course. It can, of course, and it does, and it would, where 
public houses and licensed premises open. As Liam has said, they've been closed for most of the year as a result of NFED recommendations and government taking on board those recommendations. Well, off-licenses have been but open, I mean, now pubs are open I mean, for takeaway. You know, people, people respect the restrictions and the guidelines associated with them. They can visit off-licenses, they can visit takeaway facilities, but they do so in a manner in which respects what's been asked of them in relation to etiquette, in relation to masks, in relation to, to social distancing and so forth. And there can be... Uh, progress made, as was seen up to only four days ago. But so, do you think I mean, the messaging is a bit off here because we're saying to people, you know, which we heard a number of weeks ago and there was a huge, I think, controversy around it, certain things like clothes for children, non-essential, alcohol, absolutely essential, that it is sending out the wrong message. But clothes for children are essential. Clothes for children can be accessed the same way as uh, takeaway items can be accessed, whether it's food, or, 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 or drink or whatever it might be. There are opportunities there for people to avail of in a, in a controlled fashion. And if it's such that further progress is made in the next two weeks and there is potential to open up um, the hospitality sector further, those that are involved in that sector know it's the, their livelihoods that's at stake as well as their obligations in relation to public health and they will work with government, they will work with the authorities to ensure that they have a set of guidelines and proposals that respects the, 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 the prospect Liam, of, of two, not allowing this to, to grow. Two things there. People's livelihoods at stake. And number two, most people, the by and large, large majority of people, are respecting the rules around alcohol sales. But in, well, in short, in a pandemic situation, most people adhering to the rules isn't good enough. Uh, we have to recognise that a minority of people are not uh, living with the rules and we have to assist them and remind them of what to do. But I, I would make the point, I haven't, I've recognised that pubs have been closed uh, for the last number of months. I've also recognised that when they were open, they did not contribute. The evidence wasn't there. But neither were hairdressers, neither were beauticians, neither were other retail outlets, but they've been closed. But off-licences, for example, have not been closed. And that allows the sale of alcohol. And community transmission how, in, within households has been a common phenomenon for the last number of weeks. And even over the Halloween, it can be argued, we had a spike after the Halloween period. Was that related to social interaction, relaxation of the household gathering numbers and so on? Okay. All of that. And what I'd be arguing All right, uh, Liam, I'm just going to let Barry just come back in there a moment. You have to be mindful too, where, where people don't respect and adhere and where they're defiant of the regulations and the law, well, then enforcement can take place. And I know, to be fair, the Gardaí in general, um, you know, have been pragmatic and have worked with people. And, um, you know, but there is the prospect of them using the powers that has been afforded to them in certain circumstances. And as I said to you, if people, if people wish to be defiant... They are putting other people at risk and they are ensuring that hospital places won't well, be available for other treatments. And that's something we have to be mindful of. And that's what we're saying today. You can't expect the Gardaí to, 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 to monitor households and individual behaviour to that extent. And but I'm and most but that's concerned... That's why we're saying it's... Right, I want to put that, that point that, to you. That, Is it actually fair now, because the government has sort of shifted the onus no, now onto... Individuals are supposed to act responsibly, and if they don't, the Garda need to step in. That was really the message today. Well, first fair? of all, I rely 100% on our excellent Garda to do their job, because they have been doing it, and they're doing it in the very best way they can, because they have the proper, intelligent approach. They work with 
with people and they bring people with them. And we have to have people buying into this, otherwise it won't work. But we but didn't what have I would people, say is, I suppose, buying into it on South William Street but, in Dublin okay, on Saturday but, night. But, that, we but that's a group of individuals. We can't penalise everybody for the actions of a smaller group. But I would plead with people like that, that did do that last weekend, not to do it again. And what I would say is that when it comes to what Lima is seeking tonight, which is in effect prohibition, I don't want to live in a state where there's no, I'm, prohibition. That's not fair. And Michael, that, I am not seeking prohibition. Well, well, I think Michael. when you say, now, well, I think when you say that you don't if want alcohol to be sold, I think you would if, call that prohibition. If we're going, and what I said was that I don't expect an outright ban. It's not going to be delivered. I do believe if we are as concerned about the elderly in this country and allowing them to return to normal living, we have got to deal with this pandemic. And we are not dealing with this pandemic at the moment in a manner which guarantees that we won't have a third lockdown in late January well, think, or February. And think... that will ultimately mean that the other people in society who don't have the voice the same voice as those in the hospitality sector. And in fairness, I don't believe I don't blame them. But it is individual behaviour. We have to curb it so that all sectors of society can return to a all quality right, uh, of Liam, life. Liam, we're just going to let Michael back in there. I'll answer that for you now. First of all, Liam, no problem in the world. Don't try to insinuate that my voice is all only for the publicans or the hoteliers or the restaurateurs because it's not. My voice is for everybody because I'm buying into this uh, pandemic and what we need to do as, as is every other politician and is as every other member of the public is. But I just don't agree with this thing of tr trying to unnecessarily blame alcohol are the industry that is involved in the sale of alcohol. Because right. if alcohol is consumed and okay. sold properly, it's quite safe to do All so. All right, uh, Liam Doran, we're going to leave uh, that there. Thank you for speaking to us this evening. Um, before we go to Thank part you. three, I just want to ask you, Barry, about um, the Seamus Wolfe affair. And the focus really has shifted now, I think, to how Seamus Wolfe was appointed. And there's been calls by the opposition for Helen McIndy to come in and talk through the appointment process. Uh, why hasn't she been able to do that? You know, the Count Corliss said this evening that the Justice Minister and the government are accountable to the mm -hmm. doll. Of course they are. And there are adequate means by which uh, that can take place by PQ, by oral question and so forth. In relation to this incident, in relation to the appointment of Justice uh, Wolfe by the government, the process by which he was appointed is a safe and sound one. And the, 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 the power that's trusted entrusted into the justice minister is one which whereby she can make an appointment yes she's but made if the it appointment is a safe and sound the full, one, should in, she not come into the dial and explain that process she's, rather she's, than hiding she behind she has already the explained i've seen at, at, a, at a justice committee meeting today that in the context of this application a vacancy became aware uh, the, the, the justice advisory board gave her a name there was also a parallel process that she considered some applications from that sphere and ultimately made her decision, informed the Taoiseach, uh, the Taunishta and uh, the leader of the Green Party before informing the, ca before informing the cabinet, the which, is no different, today, which is no different than any other justice minister in relation to any appointments they've made in no, the past. Which is why the and I haven't seen any today, of them come before the House for impeachment during my time. Or no, and there's before. not going to be impeachment here either, but the Kion Corley made it very clear today that the justice minister is accountable to the doll when it comes to the appointment process, so why will she not come in and make herself accountable to the Dáil? But and she's accountable to many aspects of the Dáil, as 
any minister is. And today, for example, she was before the Justice Committee, which is made up of all parties and none in relation to issues pertaining to her ministry. And I've seen uh, personally at one stage she answered questions specifically related to this issue. I think this is an opportunistic effort on the part of the government, on the part of opposition, to try and expose the government for something that is not necessarily the case at all. This was a perfectly adequate appointment that was made okay. in all line right. with the process that has all been right. in place for many years and I accept and abide uh, by, the, to leave it there. by the authority of the Minister to make that decision right. with Thanks the support to of the Michael government. Thanks to Michael Healy-Ray. After the break, Barry Cowan is staying with us and infectious diseases consultant Dr Jack Lambert joins me on why we need to question the strategy for dealing with COVID-19. He says a solution must be found that does not focus exclusively on COVID-19 at the expense of everything else. You're very welcome back. Fianna Fáil TD Barry Cowan is still with us and we're joined now by infectious diseases consultant Dr Jack Lambert. But first, Dr Deirdre Robertson, a behavioural scientist with the ESRI, joins us on Skype to talk about why people may be fraying around the edges when it comes to these level five restrictions. Good evening to you, Deirdre, and thank you for speaking to us. Do you see uh, the evidence of the weekend of people, you know, drinking pints and gathering in public and perhaps breaching some of the regulations or indeed the spirit of the regulations as evidence of a wider problem and a wider sort of fraying of our commitment to level five? Yeah, so I mean, certainly there is some breaching of the regulations in different situations. I think in terms of a broader picture, um, the data that we have wouldn't suggest that there's a fraying at the edges. So um, Amorak have been carrying out a tracking poll of people's opinions throughout the crisis since the start of March. And they've seen broad public support for the guidelines. And the latest data that was out on the 9th of November found that 68% of people thought that the current measures are appropriate. And as many as 19% thought they were insufficient. So we see an overwhelming majority of people who are in support of the guidelines. And also when they ask questions about compliance, um, the vast majority of people say that they are complying with the uh, restrictions, but perhaps more importantly, that they think other people are as well. So while we certainly see some evidence of people maybe in the grey areas or breaching some of the restrictions, generally speaking, it seems that the vast majority of the public are in support of them and, and are complying. Deirdre, I'm wondering uh, what the government can do to try and ensure that those who are fraying at the edges stay the distance or come back on board, particularly for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose since the start, you know, there's behavioural science would suggest that trying to ensure voluntary compliance is going to be the best way of trying to ensure that people um, stick to the guidelines. And that can be with kind of goal setting. So we've had the goal of trying to have this six weeks of level five lockdown. And we have seen some success, um, huge success actually in the number of cases reducing, albeit in the last month, some change in that. Now, the problem is we're not entirely sure what behaviours are driving that change um, and that increase in the cases. And it might be that we're at a stage when we need to get some more data on what types of behaviours people are engaging in that are both 
compliant and non-compliant because we can have non-compliant behaviors that are kind of on the edge of risky or sorry, very risky non-compliant behaviors or compliant behaviors that are on the edge of risky. And perhaps having a more detailed picture of what types of behaviors most people are engaging in on a daily basis would be something that would be useful for informing um, how we could target messaging and what types of behaviors are the most risky. All right, uh, Dr. Deirdre Robertson, uh, thank you for your time. Uh, Jack, I want to come to you. Listening to Deirdre there, she's saying, you know, the research would show that 70% of people want these restrictions, are abiding by these restrictions and think that most other people are abiding by the level five restrictions as well. But do you feel that this time round, the messaging has been confused and a little bit lost? Well, I, I don't think there has been really strong messaging. I think we've been told to lock down for six weeks and watch the numbers. And I think people did that out of fear in the springtime. But, but if you walk around town um, and you see the people on the roads and you see what's happening, I mean, I mean, Dublin is a very busy city at the present time. This is this is not a level five lockdown like like we saw in the springtime. So so I think, you know, I, I, I think that... But in fairness, I suppose, Jack, it was never going to be like the springtime uh, lockdown, the first lockdown, because the schools are still open, the list of essential workers has changed, construction sites are still open. So it wasn't ever as severe as the first lockdown. Right. No, no I agree with that. But I, I, ju I just think that, that there... 70% is not good enough. I, I think this is a very unforgiving virus. It's a very infectious virus. And, and, and I think we do need to kind of get out there and educate the public on what they can do, you know, importantly in kind of COVID prevention. And I, I think we're still missing the message that the mask is a critically important thing. Um, it's not just about, you know, limiting numbers of people in the house. I see lots of people are cocooning in houses and they're getting infected. They're getting infected by family members who are bringing COVID from the community home. So I just think we need to, we need to kind of additionally m make a plea voluntarily to the Irish public to be very careful to protect their elderly, protect their vulnerable. And that has to do with what they're doing, not in the house. That has to do with what they're doing before they come into the house. So the messaging is wrong at this point, you feel? Well, I just think it's not strong enough. I just think it has to be much more clear to people. I think that, that wearing a mask in a crowded situation outdoors, you know, not where you can't socially distance is an important message as well. And then really being careful about in any environment that, where you're indoors um, to, to do all the right things. And I walk into grocery stores and, you know, you, you, you see that there's a green light and then Loads of people run into the grocery store. Nobody washes their hands on the way in. And, and the grocery stores are crowded. Now, people are doing better wearing masks. But I, I just think we need, we need to kind of re-emphasize the important COVID prevention strategies that are going to make a difference yeah. rather than watching the numbers. See, how can we drive down the numbers? That's the question. Uh, Barry, we've spent, I suppose, in fairness, the last two days talking about, you know, a group of people drinking takeaway pints on a street in Dublin. And what Jack seems to be saying there is that the very basic messaging the government isn't prioritising and still isn't getting right. Yeah, possibly. What I would say, and I want to pick up on what Jack has said and I'm very interested in what he had to say, there was an, un, an unrealistic expectation that level five restrictions on this occasion would yield a similar result than we had earlier this year. But the point that you make is the correct one. The essential services, the schools uh, and the essential goods on offer 
mean that the same level of restriction is not applicable this time round. Therefore, so you can't. So, 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 so there has to be. Yes, there does have to be an even greater emphasis. As lethargic and as tired, and as 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 fearful as people are, that we're not at the end yet. But there is some hope with the prospect of vaccine. There is light at the end of the tunnel. There is normality available to us, hopefully, come next spring or summer. But just go back and, to that point. But we don't the want the intervening period. To be, we don't, we don't want the intervening period to be detrimental. We don't want to lose this now when we've done so well to see it slip back in the last four or five days. So there's a, there's a responsibility on us all, and we don't have to be guided or instructed or, or, or lectured to by government. We all are. You well, know, Jack well educated do, enough. Actually. We won't, you think that a, a is part, the government's responsibility, Jack? We, yeah, of do course, you? public health has a responsibility. Well, and educational there, messages, yes. But we're that. inundated with that message on, on programs, on radio, on TV, day and night. But I think people have to realise that there's a responsibility that they themselves have to bear now on the basics, the basics in relation to masks, the basics in relation to hand washing and etiquette and social distancing. And there is a slackening, okay, in some okay. cases, in a minority of cases, in, in, in retail outlets, in shopping centres, in, 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 in supermarkets, whereby, you know, again, we're back to, you know, there are existing guidelines that have to be adhered to. And if I people flout them with... or if people defy them, they have yeah. to be corrected. Uh, Jack, I just want to get to the white paper. Um, you were one of a number of uh, scientists and GPs and doctors who were part of a white paper that said we need to change the strategy when it comes to COVID-19. What exactly are you recommending? Well, I was approached by a group of uh, physicians, you know, who, who actually want to be part of the solution, you know, and, and the feeling, I think, in a lot of people is that we, we need kind of a broad-based kind of dialogue from, from, from the people on top government with people in the trenches, and that's GPs, people who are seeing what's happening to the, their patients. And, and the white paper really is just putting forward, you know, that yes, we went into lockdown in March, but if we keep on using lockdown as a strategy, as an alternative to you know all the other things that are important, and that is 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 making sure that personal responsibility, group responsibility, institutional responsibility in terms of COVID prevention, we need to up the ante on that and make sure we're doing it right. Does other that mean we need to are... sort of lessen the role of NEFET a little bit? Well, I think no, no. I think we need to broaden the. The representation of NEFET is the opinion, I think, of the people in the white paper. And I, I would agree, I think we need more input. It's not just about numbers, okay? It's just not about numbers. It's about it's about the whole effect of that COVID is having our society. And who's the input and, coming from? And who does it need to come from? Well, well, I I, I think the the input needs 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 there needs to be more input from clinicians on NEFET, you know, and there's an expert advisory group that I think is underutilized. I think there's 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 people in economics and different fields who are part of the solution, look looking at what we can they can be a part of the solution in terms of keeping the numbers down. Okay. I think there's lots of ways that we need to engage different experts within Ireland to be up Barry, do you at accept that that the government has been a little bit focused narrow in its focus and has really just listened to the opinions of NEFET and really nobody else at this point? Well, when it didn't listen to NEFET for a week or two, there was an uproar as to why they didn't and the implications of not doing so. Um, they have to try and balance the situation between lives and livelihoods, as they said repeatedly, and we respect and appreciate and acknowledge that that has to be the case. There is 
provision within the different levels for living with COVID. If we have 98, 99% compliance where you had 70 in your in your research, and that's the message, you know, the, the, the short, okay. short, hard knock in relation to level five as it is now, hopefully we'll bring down the numbers and then we can have an opportunity to okay. live with it at level two or three, but let's see where that takes. All right, Barry Cowan and Jack Lambert, thank you as always for your time. That's it from me tonight. Matt will be back here tomorrow night at the normal time of 10 p.m. straight after I'm a Celebrity. Until thank you and good night. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.